Welcome to the Roots of the Spirit podcast. I'm your host, Spirit Tafik. I'm a social justice passionista and daughter of the civil rights movement. This podcast is my commitment to serve as an intergenerational bridge and galvanize change by having honest conversations about identity, the social construct of race, racism, and social justice. Welcome to Roots of the Spirit. Greetings to the Roots of the Spirit community. If you're a regular listener, I appreciate your continued support, encouragement, and helping to grow the community. I consider it very generous of you to take time to give your honest thoughts and feedback, to share the podcast, grow the conversation, and contribute to the positive ripple effect of change. If you're new to the podcast, welcome and thank you for joining us and taking the step of learning from personal stories and experiences and having the courage to engage in honest conversations about history, identity, race, racism, and social justice. Justice. I'm adding a new element to the podcast, which I invite you to participate in. After listening to an episode, if you have any questions or comments pertaining to the guest, subject matter, resources, or anything else, please email me at spirit at rootsofthespirit.com. Again, that's spirit at rootsofthespirit.com. I would love to hear from you, and I'll address the questions at the top of the next episode. The history of the United States is tumultuous, to put it in the most mild terms. Because of our interconnected history, the deep impact of racism and inequality continues to pulsate throughout the country's veins. So here we are at this moment, trying to navigate it all in our own way. There are so many dedicated changemakers who are diligently working to break down oppressive systems, structures, and stereotypes using their skills, talents, and gifts to make things better for all of us. Our guest for today's episode, Jamie Milner, is a powerfully talented changemaker who believes that imagery is a profound vehicle for change. She is the founder of Gifted, a creative movement celebrating the beauty and genius of Black men. Jamie describes Gifted as an innovative platform focused on expanding a positive image of Black men throughout culture. Oftentimes, we're surrounded by so many negative images of Black men ones that devalue, degrade, and fail to represent their power and the magnitude of who they are. Gifted is a platform for the image and voice of Black men today, one that challenges the current climate and reminds them of who they are. Hi, Jamie. It's so wonderful to meet you virtually, and thank you so much for being a guest on the Roots of the Spirit podcast. Nice to meet you. Nice to hang and, and talk. I'm excited. Thank you so much. I launched my podcast, Roots of the Spirit, in an effort to create a space to have honest conversations about identity, race, racism, and social justice to ultimately inspire change in our own lives and communities. Initially, when I was getting started and I put together a wish list of of change makers and people who I felt like were actively using their gifts and talents and passion and purpose to create positive change, you came to my mind right away. It's so awesome. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you. In this instance, we have not met face to face. I love your work. I'm super inspired by it. It's actually through my husband, Hisham Tafik, who you featured a few years ago in your project, Gifted, a creative movement celebrating the beauty and genius of Black men, which will be at the heart of our conversation today. We'll meet one day soon, but it's so <laughs> awesome, you know, how we met through Hisham and, you know, I heard so much about you, so... It was awesome. It was awesome to photograph him for that. It's my firm belief that our upbringing and our personal life experiences lead us down certain paths and give us certain insights. I would love to hear about your upbringing. I read that you're born and raised in Southern California. What was that like? Your family life and also 
some of the things that you love to do as a young person and how you came to get on the journey that you took to get to the work that you're doing today. You know, I was born and raised in California, Southern California, but I really grew up in Burbank, which is, I don't know, it's kind of close to the valley. My parents basically have an employment agency. And so I really kind of grew up in kind of like the entertainment industry. But so I I grew up in a predominantly white area and I went to predominantly white school. I went to private white school. And there's so many things I think in my experiences then that led me to where I am now. I think particularly just being in an area where you kind of realize that like you were different and didn't quite fit in. And I think for me, I know that that led me to kind of feeling like overlooked as a child, which kind of led me to creating what I'm doing now. You know, Gifted is about celebrating the gifts of Black men. And I feel like often they're just overlooked and not seen for who they are. And I feel like I knew the truth of Black men through my father, through my brother, but it seemed that what I believed was very different from what the majority believed about them. And so growing up in an area where I felt kind of overlooked my whole life directly applied to the work that I'm doing and combating that and letting other people know that, you know, I see you, you're important, you matter. I guess to get into like the little fun parts of it, I wasn't always like super artistic. I didn't really grow up around a lot of creative kids, but at the same time, I, I used to ride horses when I was younger. So it's just like a cool little side fact and little like fun thing about me is that I went to a camp when I was six, a horse camp, and I just wanted to stay there. So horses kind of protected me, I guess, in this interesting way from like the world outside. I just like had fun. It was like a deeper connection. It was like fulfilling. So, you know, that kind of just allowed me to to have fun as I was I was younger and kind of not be so much wrapped up into the white world that I was in and, and who's dating who and normal things that go on with teenage years. But that's kind of like the gist of my upbringing. So interesting. You mentioned horses. I'm on a journey, like a mental health journey, looking at intergenerational trauma and how it manifests itself and also different techniques and avenues that people can go down in terms of enhancing mental health. I've read about the therapeutic nature of the human horse relationship. So I find that really interesting that you mentioned that. It's really amazing. Like I actually, the other day I was really thinking about what that did for me. And it's just like, I think we all, you know, I'm a person like I really love connection and that's even why like I do what I do, but being connected with, with humans is one thing, but then being connected with like animals, particularly like a big animal like that, that you have Mm -hmm. to get on and trust and like have a relationship with, like that's a really interesting connection, you know, because like it's another like creation. It's another like living animal, but it's also like much deeper than, I don't know, a dog would be or, you know, like you you write it, you have to put your trust in it in a different way. So Mm -hmm. it's really cool. But I mean, I want to, I want to get back into writing. I think it'd be so much fun. Secret James of winning the Olympics. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) Who knows, though? Maybe it'll come back around. (laughs) I would like to know, are your parents from Southern California originally? My dad is from Riverside, and my mom is from Ohio. My dad grew up in more of like a Black community, and I think my mom kind of grew up in both. I'm always very interested in the elementary school years, particularly because of my own personal experience, and I know how that formed and shaped me. So I'd like to hear more about your experience as you described it growing up in a predominantly white educational setting. It was interesting. 
It was really interesting. So my mom worked in entertainment and she kind of sent me to the same schools that her bosses went to. And it was great because, you know, they could afford it and they could give me a good education. But at the same time, it just created this, I don't know, it was just interesting. Just growing up in in an area where you're the only one. I was like one, if two of the Black kids in the school. And I just remember when I was young, kind of just, not that I, not that people didn't like me, but I was just kind of like forgotten in this weird way. So I remember like spending a lot of time, you know, by myself. It just created this interesting dynamic where I was aware that I was different and they were like just subtle nuances. So I even remember, you know, when I was, I think in elementary was really interesting, but I also really remember particularly in middle school when things started to like shape me. So I was reading To Kill a Mockingbird and they had used the N-word multiple times in, in that book. And so a girl during lunch felt like it was okay to to call me that. And it, w- it was an Asian girl, which I kind of like didn't really expect. And I just remember, you know, growing up in a predominantly white environment causes you to like... Uh, I don't know, suppress things. And so I got upset, but I quickly like had to like bounce back. But in a way, I feel like I didn't take the time to to think how does that make me feel and explore like the depth of my feeling in that because I just had to like go the next day and survive in this world and be in the class with that girl. And I had to be a little bit stronger in order for me not to completely hate her, <laughs> you know, and hang on to that. So it was just interesting. And then I I also remember when I was seventh grade, the most interesting thing that I remember about my my elementary school was we had a debate on the pros and cons of slavery. Pros? (laughs) Yes. When I was in seventh grade, I'm 30 years old right now, so it wasn't that long ago. We had a a debate on the pros and the cons of slavery. Yeah, that was like a standard thing that they did every year when they talked about, you know, slavery and got to that part in history. It was something that they did every year. And I have a brother who's four years younger. And so when that time came around for him, I think the teacher had said something along the lines of, you know, just think about it as, you know, just tools or think about it in terms of like livestock or, you know, a car, like something that you, you buy and, you know, use. And my brother got so, so heated. He was like, can you stop referring to my people as cars and like livestock? And the teacher at the time was like, you need to be quiet. And yeah. my brother, my brother went to tears to the principal's office and was just livid. Like, I can't imagine like how he felt. I think for me, like, I don't even know if I said anything I think I really internalized it but you know he's a young black boy and his experiences has been have been very different so I think at that point he had kind of reached a boiling point it fortunately stopped with him but that just kind of gives you an idea of the environment that I was in where people thought that this was okay and just like aside from all of those things I think just understanding like as a woman and as a young girl like understanding my value and my worth and like seeing girls with, you know, long hair and just wanting to be like that, to be accepted, but not having those things that you need in order to fit in truly. I think that was like the hardest part for me was how I saw myself and how I saw my beauty. I know that that was, it was really challenged in that environment. I can totally relate to everything that you're saying, just because I'm, uh, my family is comprised of six siblings and everyone had 
their own unique experience with how they dealt with the racism. Mm -hmm. And it's just really interesting how you described the difference between your process and your brother's process. Do you recall the very first time that you became aware of the color of your skin? Not specifically, but I do remember a moment. It was either like first or second grade. And I remember just like sitting by myself. And that moment, I feel like I kind of knew, like I can visually like remember it. Like it was down, like kind of uh, like it was like an overpass. Like it was dark in the overpass. And I could literally like almost like see myself sitting on the other side, like in in the light, but just being by myself. And I remember all the kids were like on the complete like opposite side. And it felt like almost two separate worlds. And I think that's probably the moment when I realized I didn't understand why I was by myself. So that was like super interesting for me. I didn't, I didn't understand that, but I knew in that moment it was deeper. I just couldn't really put words to it. I literally was speaking to third and fourth graders yesterday I was talking to them about Ruby Bridges and her plight to desegregate William France Elementary School in the first grade in New Orleans. They were so fascinated by the fact that Ruby Bridges walked through a mob of angry protesters who were screaming and calling her names. But she was so young that she said she thought that it was Mardi Gras. So the kids I was speaking to were saying, I'm so glad she didn't know what was going on. You know, that really was probably the best thing. And I was explaining to them that the racism in the air landed on her body. No matter if she was young enough to understand the implications of racism and how it permeates the air and our lives and our behaviors, she could feel it. And when you told that story, I felt like that story totally connected, that you may have been too young to understand what was going on, but you felt something deeply. Exactly. I think that for me, it's always been like, I'm a huge feeler. Like I'm very just like in tune with things, how I feel with my emotion. Like almost, I think I felt bad. I I consider it to be like a weakness, but it's really like one of my greatest strengths, but I definitely feel, and I felt the effects of, of being there, of just being knowing it's weird because like I think as a as a child and definitely like as I got older like I know how powerful I am but you have like a world around you that you're just kind of like you're confused like why are people like interacting with me like this why do I feel like invisible why you know and I think that it's just like a knowing that like something is something is off but I think it's important to like keep that knowing that you have of like your power and your worth and I I really do believe that like that kids and and people in general like deep down within there's like part of them that they could grasp onto that is that is strong but so many times I feel like the world challenges whether or not that is even true we lose it you know we're not sure if it exists we don't know if it's it's real we're the only one often thinking about it and so you know it can slip it can slip away. I feel like racism and how it lives in minds and bodies is very discombobulating, kind of like makes you feel like, am I the only person who's who saw that, who felt that? Exactly. It's almost like a sixth sense. Yeah. And then just things not being, not being acknowledged sometimes. Like I remember I had a lot of friends, a lot of guy friends in high school. I went to like an, an all girls Catholic school. And so a lot of my friends were like, we had like a brother school. And so I remember we were out one night and we were 
hanging out with them and and it was it was just me that night and they had gotten the car like i i didn't drink didn't do anything i just i just met up to to get together with them and we had gotten in the car and i remember that they were like they lit up a joint and were and were smoking it and they were driving around in the parking lot and this cop car pulls up next to them and it's just like kind of like watching them stops and pulls them over and obviously like the car is like lit up they had <laughs> been smoking so much and the officer comes up to the car and he's like he said something like are you all white or are there any black boys in here and I was sitting in the car right and in that moment you're in a bad situation and I just like I was quiet and so the officer's like you know have you boys been smoking today They're like oh no officer <laughs> obviously they are and he's like all right he's like there's just a car that matched this description you know and walked away and literally no one else in that car even heard him whisper that to the driver but I was right behind him and after my friend like he acknowledged it and said something and and mentioned that he was just like terrified in that moment and didn't want to get caught but I was just like wow it's just interesting how in that moment that was something that was so like upsetting to me I still wasn't able to say anything about that in that moment I had to like keep my mouth shut and like not say anything but living with that internally and like understanding like what that means and how wrong that is and sometimes having it being in environments where you're not able to say anything I think adds to like adds to the fury and frustration inside and I think in many ways our experiences like lead to this like bubbling up of frustration that we haven't been able to speak and it's kind of like detrimental at times it's so much to process at such a young age and it's humiliating. It feels shameful. Yeah. It's frightening. Yeah. I mean, you said like weed was billowing out of the car and they just said, okay, have a good night. I mean, there's privilege. So much so privilege much. for that. How does that experience process in the minds of your white friends? That's a rhetorical question, but I'm curious. In these moments, it's like the movie Crash, when all of these worlds are colliding and something is deeply rooted in racism happens, how is everybody perceiving and processing that? I think that they don't perceive it and process it. I mean, in terms of like the white perspective. Right. Like literally for something like that, it would be like, like I'm surprised my friend even said anything after he left. Like, I'm really surprised that he even told the rest of the car what he said. In most situations, I think that they would just say nothing. Like, it's just that silence that is that is awful and that you're just like, that's wrong. You might be having like 500 thoughts and feelings surging through your body, but yeah. almost doesn't phase them. Yeah, it's a lot to process. And I, I, I often say like, with my photography, I just, I love exploring vulnerability. And I think that often we, as Black people, don't don't have like vulnerability is a gift. Like it really is to sit down and be able to like let everything out that you're holding on to. And it requires a breakdown. And like, we often don't have time for that breakdown. And I think the things that we're carrying are, are so, so heavy that like, if it's like, if I have time to break down, like that's going to be like a whole process. And I'm afraid that all the stuff that I'm carrying, like I might be crushed underneath it. It's just, it's so interesting. Like how, we process it and we just often just take things and push them to the side in order in order to deal with it especially when it comes to dealing with like subtle racism 
on because you have to live in that world. And in order for me to go in that world and like be successful, I can't, I have to kind of like push this away. So I'm not like enraged when I see you every single day. As it relates to representation in terms of your upbringing and going to school in a predominantly white environment and just living in our country that's highly concentrated with white supremacy, what's your advice to white teachers who teach black children on how to interrupt the system of white supremacy and privilege and sift through preconceived notions and stereotypes to enable them to treat their black students and other students of color as fully realized human beings? I would say like treat people how you do every other person. Like we we all want to be seen, you know? And I think a lot of the times, I think in school settings, it's like the fact that teachers act like they don't see them or they're a problem. But it's like actually care, actually see them, actually ask what's going on, you know, but not to make assumptions. Like you don't, you don't know. Like you've been told things, you've heard things, but you really don't know. So when you engage with someone, engage with them as a discovery, as like you're actually like trying to get to the heart of who they are and that there's something good there. Like, I think that's inherently like the issue is that they assume like there's something bad or they already know it or they already understand them. But to understand like the heart of a child, the heart of young black men is important. And I I just think people need to actually care. If you actually care and are actually curious, it changes the way you engage with them. I totally hear you. So let's talk about Gifted. Can you please take me on the journey of its origins and how you came to produce this absolutely stunning and powerful and profound work. Thank you. I mean, I think it started when I, so I went to USC in Southern California. I had taken a class on, I think it was a race, gender, and sexuality course. It kind of just opened my eyes to, you know, how media is produced and the stories that it tells. And I was like, I just remember I had a moment where I was like, wait a minute, you depicted me like this? Like, I bought into this? Like, I, like, I, it was just very eye-opening. But I think at that same time, I had a friend of mine who I met at USC and we just had like a really great like friendship. He was a man who kind of like really kind of showed me his heart. And I think it kind of sparked like subconsciously like this desire to know like the heart of other black men, just the men around me. Like what were their, what were their fears? What were their dreams? What were their hopes? I think for me, I was an artist like on my journey and I knew what I wanted to say through my work. And so I really wanted to know like, what do you want to say as a black man? Like, what is it that you want to say? Like, what's important to you? What matters to you? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I was like in a space where I was kind of like finding out who I was. Like at that time, I decided to like grow my hair out natural. And it was just my way of just kind of discovering who I was. You know, I just felt like beautiful in like certain settings and situations. I was like, I want to know like what my real texture is like, who I am and have the opportunity to like embrace that. And so that kind of, for me, I was looking at, I saw how my outward beauty had been like misconstrued Mm -hmm. and how I had been made to think that it wasn't important and it wasn't beautiful. But I was like, if my like external beauty and value, I had been lied to about it and made to not love it, then how had my internal worth and value kind of been affected? And so, you know, how had like my value to society, my value as a person, my intellect, how had 
had that been misconstrued for people to like misrepresent and how had I like thought about it myself, you know? Mm -hmm. And so thinking about kind of that led me to really kind of showing black men their value and their worth. And really for me, I I feel like, I literally feel like one day, it's weird because like, I don't really remember, like I've been carrying this for so long and I decided to do this project. I just woke up one day and I just had this extreme desire to photograph the men around me. And it was like, it was literally so annoying that I started shooting and I just did it to get rid of that annoying, um, kind of like panicky feeling that I had to like shoot. Were you into photography prior to that? I was. So, so, so let me, let me uh, go back. I learned photography when I was in high school. Then I just had, I had shot. I did like a lot of like, just kind of fashion stuff with my friends, but I loved the idea that I could create a world. Mm -hmm. You know, like photography is like, it's imagery is so powerful. Like you're literally, you have an image in your mind, you're able to create it. And then people interact with that image. And it's so powerful because the way that I see people, when I photograph someone, like what I love about it is like seeing like their soul and like their heart and who they are. Often when I look through the camera, like I can see like insecurities, I can see their fears, I can like see it and and feel it like in their body. But I have the opportunity to shoot them and photograph them from my perspective. And then and within that perspective is often like seeing their beauty, seeing their flaws is like powerful. And then I, that's what I, that's what people didn't get to interact with. So that's why I, I love photography. But yeah, I started in, in high school and then I had been shooting in college, just taking some electives to keep myself shooting. So the moment that I got into photography, our family, our next door neighbor, their family friend was a photographer and he was a black man and he was like my mentor. And I went on shoots with him. I did like TV and movie, like promotional work with him. So he really kind of taught me a lot and kind of came into my life at at the perfect time to teach me and kind of like show me the ropes. I love the way you described that there was something pulling on you. I would like for you to elaborate on that. And how did you take it to the next level and scale it to where it is today? Like in many ways, I really do feel like it was God calling me to do this. I know that because I I can't find any direct like, oh, this is why, you know, she started doing this because I could focus on women because, you know, I had like a lot of insecurities myself. So it could be it could be about me. But to focus on the men, like I just felt like this pull. You know, I've been doing this for so long and it's so interesting because, you know, I have like a great dad and a great brother, but I think it's just so subconscious. And for me, I think growing up, like, so my dad's a business owner and a small business owner. And what he's been able to create with my mom is absolutely like incredible. But at the same time I saw him like, and I still see him like go through things like as a man where he wants to be able to expand his business or take things further. But I watch how people give him a small piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. And I see how that like infuriates him and how it's unfair and how it hurts him. And I, so I see him like know who he is, like know the truth of who he is, but then have to combat the things that the world gives him, which is treating him like he doesn't really matter, only giving him a small piece of the pie. And I think I just wanted to remind black men of their greatness. Like I know my dad knows that he's great, but I'm going to remind you because like you need that fuel as you go into the world. Same thing with my brother. My brother is so incredibly smart. And I think growing up in a predominantly white environment where it was constantly challenged and he was just told to like, to be quiet. Teachers just like had their issues. And I watched him like his love of learning die and get reignited when he goes to college and study something he loves. 
and finding out that he's actually an incredible writer and he thought he was a horrible writer. So I, I see how society tricks us and tries to make us believe that we are not powerful, that we're not smart. It's not okay to me. And so if I can create a space and environment where men are uplifted, they're reminded of their worth, Black men need that as they go into the world every day. And so I think that's why like, I really started it because we need to be reminded. And at the same time, like Black men are really important to me. Like, I need you. I need you for my success in this world. And like, you're an important part of that. And so I need them to be uplifted. I need them to know who they are. I need them to, to just be who like God created them to be. There was a man who went to our church and he was like, he was a great guitarist. He had played with um, Shaka Khan and Stevie Wonder and was just an incredible musician. And so I photographed him. And then I went to book launch with my mom a few weekends later. The first Black French hornist um, to get hired by a major U.S. orchestra was sitting at our table. Wow. And so it kind of became this, like, then they would recommend other people. Or I remember there was an agent at WME, which is this agency out here that I just cold emailed. And he responded and loved what I was doing. But it was just interesting, like, all these people kind of just came into my life and referred other men. So as much as it's about, like, me celebrating these men, it's also, like, this web of them, like, celebrating themselves. It's, like, all interconnected. It's, like, magnificent. Magnetic and your yeah. energy is so true. And I think that that probably resonates so much. And then also the message is so powerful because we are riddled with negative stereotypes and racist imagery. Every time you turn on the TV, open up a magazine of Black men. And so this is like interrupting that narrative. So refreshing and can only imagine how good that feels to be featured in that light. I mean, it, it feels amazing to like sit down and spend time with these men. Like I have learned just so much, but you know, often like we're, like you said, like we're surrounded by all these negative images. And while there's so much negative, we're also like powerful. I think it's important to engage with that. And I think often we don't. Yes, there's all these negative things, but there's also like profound beauty. Our humanity, like let's engage with that. The heart is like so important to me. It's like, what do you care about? What matter? Like, what are you, what are you dealing with? Like, what are you carrying? I think for me, I want to create a place where Black men can have a dialogue about their pain. They can set it down, but they can also at that same time, that same moment, like pick up their power and be empowered in, in who they are and look around and see all these incredible men that have done great things and can be inspired by that. Pick up that power, pick up the hope that you see, the joy that you see and like run with that. There's such a wide range of men and experience, artists, actors, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, designers, musicians. Yeah, yeah so, so um, I think, you know, it really first started with the first guy that I photographed was a musician. I photographed like a lot of jazz musicians. I have a lot of friends that are jazz musicians. But, you know, also at the same time, I think it kind of started with the creativity and the arts. And then an agent at WME, he's actually a really great man who started this company called Macro, Macro Ventures. His name's Charles King. They did Fences and a lot of just like really other amazing films. But he connected me with some men who were kind of more like in the political 
political space and some men who also were in finance and entrepreneurs. And so I got to photograph them. And that was just like amazing going from like the creative side to the more business side. And I think that that really like is something that I was super excited about because I love creativity, but I also like love business. And I'm also down for like making your business and your craft working for you and, and monetizing it. So it was just interesting to see the two different sides and how like creative and business like need to go hand in hand, but also just like looking at the men from the creative side to the business side, you know, what pushed them and drive them and, and motivate them. So it was just interesting. It just, it just naturally kind of branched out to really being just all different types of men. To me, I didn't care about so much. Like I wasn't concerned about just being artists or just being businessmen. I just wanted to know what is the heart of these men and like what they had to say. So in Gifted, I asked every man the same five questions. I started that because I wanted to find common thought amongst these men. Mm-hmm. I feel like so many times we we have all these different thoughts to ourselves, but we don't always like talk about them. So I was mm-hmm. like, what are the what are the common thoughts? Like what are their beliefs about themselves? And like let's take those beliefs and like magnify them. What are the five questions that you ask the men? So the five questions are who are you? And so many men have done like amazing things. I said, who are you? Like what have you done in your career? But who are you outside of your career? Just like who are you as like a man, as a person? What do you care about? The second question is what do you believe is like one of the myths and the truths of black men? There's multiple myths and truths. So I have them, you know, name one of each. I ask them, what do you think about kind of like the state of black men today? And what would you like to see change? So it's their thoughts on how they want to see themselves and the world progress. The fourth question is what do you feel like you need as a black man in order to succeed? Is it love? Is it family support? It's really the question of like what's missing. And then the fifth question is how they feel black women aid in the overall progression of black men and black culture at large. Because I feel like there's like a real disconnect kind of between, I think sometimes black men and black women, but I think that we we really need each other. And so that question kind of allows for a space to talk about that. Are there any experiences in particular that stand out in the process of inviting one of the men to the studio or going to them in their own environment and just how it unfolds? Can you take me into the studio a tad bit or into their environment? Yeah, yeah. I'll start with, I will start with like the first guy I think I photographed is probably the one that I remember vividly the most. I just remember going to his home and his name's Phil Upchurch. He's a guitarist. He has the most beautiful spirit and he's just like a child. (laughs) <laughs> at heart. Um, and so I just remember coming to his house and him wanting to like play around and show me his different like music writing room. And his wife is just like, you know, just stay, <laughs> just stay focused. She needs, you need to get dressed and like, you don't have time to show her all these other things. But like, I love that part because he was just like letting me into his world and just showing me things as if like, you know, a kid brought you into their room and went to show you all their toys and their instruments. So I just remember, I remember that. And I just remember like how beautiful it was. And I knew that as I, as I grow and as I get older, it's so important to have something that you, that you love, that you express yourself in. I just remember sitting down with him and the morning it was like super crisp and cool. And I had hung um, a backdrop in his backyard. And so we shot in front of there and he had just shared with me just different stories of find his way as like a musician. And I just remember it was just so beautiful, intimate. And, you know, I can't remember every single thing that we talked about, but I just remember the feeling and the feeling was connection. The feeling was 
love and the feeling was passion and it was genuine and it was honest. I think that's what I love most is going into these men's spaces and just kind of seeing them show who they are. I had a few subjects who were kind of like tough when I first started. One in particular was like a graffiti artist that I had photographed and but I just watched him, me caring about his upbringing and what mattered to him. It just like completely opened him up about, you know, how he grew up and how he felt kind of like a black sheep. And it was just interesting to watch him go from one to the next. And that's my goal as a photographer is to make you feel safe, seen, and to give you a place to really talk about, you know, what you're carrying and what matters to you. I think that's how you get, you know, a good photograph is, is getting that vulnerability and breaking down that wall. Did you find that wall to be really prevalent among the majority of men or was it just case by case? It, it wasn't, not at all. And it's actually like a really a beautiful thing. I think being a woman has its advantages because I think naturally like how men interact with women is just like a little bit more open. Yeah, like I'm a woman coming into their space and I really just want to know about them. I think most of them were just excited that someone cared and someone wanted to take the time and, and ask them those questions. But they're really weren't any walls. I mean, maybe with one or two, I could kind of sense that. But by the time we finished, you know, that wall wasn't there. I had broken through in some way, but most people were just excited for me to be there and to photograph them. I think your intention sets everything. I remember going to photograph David Oyelowo, actor in, in Selma, and it's just a fantastic actor, you know, overall. I remember pulling up to his home and he just greeted me with the warmest, like most beautiful smile. And he was, you know, we just sat there and we talked for like an hour and he loved it. It's just interesting like how I'm just, I'm very welcomed in those spaces and it feels really great on both ends for for me and for them because we're people who don't know each other but yet we connect so profoundly. That's so beautiful and I feel like it's so incredibly powerful and contagious. Such a positive ripple effect. Can you give me an overview of where our listeners can pre-order your book, where they can find you on Instagram, your website, because I want everybody under the sun to have access to your work. It's absolutely beautiful. It's thegiftedproject.org and Instagram is at thegiftedblack is B-L-K men. Um, you can follow me there. I'm going to be doing some new video content, just really having men talk about some things that you know aren't normally discussed. So I'm just super excited to have this new kind of wave of content coming out and I'm shooting more men for the book and I'm just in a space where you know I'm just excited to create. But yeah, that's all the info. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time, your honesty, and just your authenticity. I feel such a kinship because I myself am definitely an energy person and your energy is beautiful and powerful. My last question, Jamie, what are the roots of your spirit? Oh, man. The roots of my spirit. Um, Man, I think the root of my spirit, I would say, is God. I would say that's really the root of my spirit, that love and compassion. Like I'm a very compassionate person, but those are the things that that drive my spirit is God, love, and compassion. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. 